Welcome to season two of the Awkward Angler podcast. I'm your host, Erica Nelson. My pronouns are she and her. I am based in the ancestral lands of the Ute, currently known as Crested Butte, Colorado. This round of episodes, I'm connecting with folks in the fly fishing community that are taking actionable steps towards making the industry a more inclusive and equitable space. What is fly fishing for equity, and what are people, organizations, and brands doing about it? This show is for mature audiences. Thank you for your patience in this late episode this week. Things have been pretty busy in my world. However, I'm still trying to find balance of work, life, and still having fun while doing it all. (laughs) So this week, I'm honored that my friend Corinne Doctor is my guest for today's episode. She is the co-founder of Rep Your Water, which is an apparel brand dedicated to providing uniquely designed, top-quality gear for anglers and hunters, while increasing support of local conservation and inspiring exploration. Rep Your Water is also an Angling for All pledgee that is doing some great work behind the scenes in making the industry more diverse and inclusive. Corinne is also a board member for Colorado Trout Unlimited and AFTA, which is the American Fly Fishing Trade Association. We speak about her experience of being a woman in the fly fishing space for 14 years, her perspective on conservation, as well as her own personal journey of becoming anti-racist. She is funny, hardworking, and all-around badass woman that I admire. She's up front and not afraid to lead hard conversations. Well, thanks so much, Corinne, for being on this podcast. I'm really excited to sit down with you and have you here. So um, if you wouldn't mind maybe um, introducing yourself and sharing anything about your identity or anything in general that you want folks to know about you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Erica. Good to see you as always. Um, My name is Corinne Doctor, and I am one of the co-founders of Rep Your Water Apparel. Um, The other co-founder is my husband, Garrison. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I'm located just outside of Boulder, Colorado, on the ancestral lands of the Ute, Cheyenne, and Arapaho. And I'm just, you know, trying to get through this major heat wave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's most of my identity right there. Is trying to survive <laughs> the heat wave. You're just a sweaty mess right now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I just, um, you know, working with you over the last year has been really fun and really great getting to know you. And um, I just kind of, you know, as small conversations that we've had throughout our time together, um, there's things that kind of um, that kind of stood out to me that I would love to dive into. And the first one is just kind of, what is it like to be a female business owner in the fly fishing industry? So I know that um, I asked you to be here and not Garrison, <laughs> even though he's great. Um, but I just wanted to kind of get your perspective on, you know, um, what is it like to be a female entrepreneur in the fly fishing space? And what are some things that you've kind of dealt with? Or um, yeah, just kind of what is your, what is your, um, your thoughts on on that? <laughs> well, it first of all, I love it. I love the fly fishing industry. It's obviously a white male, older male dominated industry. We all know that. Um, but I love this industry. I love fly fishing. I love all the people that I meet. And it's, it's a really like energetic group of people that have united around something that they love the female side oddly enough I feel more in my face when I'm with consumers Mm -hmm. like in the industry meetings you know I'm on the board of AFTA 
which is the American Fly Fishing Trade Association. It's not like I'm there because I'm a woman or they're like, hey, let's hear this from the woman's perspective. It's because I'm a business owner of a smaller business and I have relevant experience for the industry. The consumer side of things, and I think I've told you this story before, is, you know, I'll be in a booth with one of my male employees and they're usually younger than I am. And we'll be standing there and somebody will walk straight up to them, not even <laughs> look at me and just say, hey, I love your company. Uh, I've been following your Instagram for a really long time, whatever the comment is. And that employee will kind of go, well, thank you. We appreciate your support, but you should really tell her that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And they look at me like, what? Like you, all five foot three of you, <laughs> like woman does this too. Um, and that's interesting. It's also Garrison is the Garrison, my husband, other half of Rep Your Water is the very obvious side of Rep Your Water because he does all of our art and design. Um, he manages most of our social media. So there's a lot more of him visible. Mm -hmm. And it honestly doesn't really bother me because he's an incredible artist and we've built this thing together but it is just kind of interesting seeing how that plays out. There's obviously assumptions that a man would start a business, just that's rooted in our culture. Um, but it is kind of that, like, I have to almost prove, like, oh, no, I, it really is me, I swear. And I really am good at fishing and all of these things. So it every day it's a little bit different. Sometimes people are totally in and they get it and they know who I am or they would just assume, you know, this woman in the booth obviously is high up in the company. Mm -hmm. um, but then there's other times when people will just automatically assume I don't fish. So they'll walk up to Garrison and say, oh, when were you last fishing? And they'll walk up to me and say, well, do you like fishing? <laughs> Where there's the assumption on the male side and the assumption the other way on the female side. So it, it's interesting. I, I've i navigated this world for like 10 years now. Mm -hmm. And I, I am like, I'm more comfortable with just pushing a little bit more, you know, and saying, oh, absolutely. Of course. Do you? you know? Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but it, it's fun. I really, I really do like being in this space. My previous life was a teacher. Mm -hmm. So I was a high school Spanish teacher and that's a very much female dominated space. So I've gone from one end to the other. Um, and it's great. I, I just like hearing all the funny stories that people have about fishing or who knows. Yeah. Both interactions that have nothing to do with being a woman. Those are always entertaining. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's great. Well, that's a 10 years. And what I'm hearing is um, a lot of additional labor for yourself to kind of have to prove yourself. Right. And I've, I've had that experience as well, just even recently guiding, um, you know, I'm in right. the shop waiting for clients and they're like, Oh, excuse me, I'm looking for my guide. And I'm like, Oh, that's me. <laughs> and then that even, <laughs> and that even happened, um, by a sh someone working in the shop too. They're like, Oh, you know, they went over to the client and I'm standing right next to them waiting for them to get their fishing license. And, you know, the guy working in the shop was like, can I help you miss? And I'm like, these are my clients that <laughs> I will be guiding today from this. Yeah, then <laughs> we're all here together. Yeah. Oh, dear. It is interesting. Yeah, I first heard that term from you, the additional labor piece. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been kind of, I've been processing that a little bit of like, what does that mean for me? What does that mean for other people who are underrepresented in this sport or, you know, anywhere? Mm -hmm. If they're in an industry that, um, they're underrepresented in what is that additional labor? And, and it's interesting to think about because I hadn't never thought of it that way. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so it's, it's a good perspective to have that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for anyone, you kind of, you think about how you interact with others as well. Mm -hmm. Um, why question someone's not authority, expertise, I guess. Right. Yeah. It's not our job to, to question someone if they're good at their job. Right. I don't know if you watch Ted Lasso. No. Uh -uh. Oh, it's so good. I love TV. But uh, one of the most recent episodes, this therapist, sports therapist comes in. This is no spoilers. Sports therapist comes in talking to the coach about meeting with one of his players. And it takes place in England and she um, comes in and he says, well, are you good at your job? And she says, are you good at your job? And he says, well, yes. And she goes, well, I'm twice as good as you are. <laughs> and I'm like, go girl. <laughs> I love that. I throw it right back. Yeah, exactly. No, it seems like we're always kind of having to prove ourselves. And, you know, looking and seeing your attitude very much of this is just the way it is, you know, and, you know, when we kind of take those moments of stepping back of, hey, this is actually extra work, I do have to <laughs> prove myself every single time over and over. And so yeah, that I think that I've found my space myself, um, kind of fighting twice as hard, you know, not only being a woman, but a woman of color and, you know, always having to prove um, myself, especially working in corporate settings for me. It's, um, you know, doing leadership and organizational yeah. development. And most of my clients that I worked with were um, men in suits, <laughs> white men in suits. And it was always kind of funny when I walked into a workshop or to give a seminar, they're like, oh, do you know who our facilitator is today? <laughs> That's me. <laughs> Yeah, here I am. <laughs> I'm going to teach you how to be better. <laughs> so, yeah. Thank yeah. you for lesson one. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it's like kind of, it, it kind of like makes me question like, is this, is this normal to think of, um, is this just my insecurity or is just really society and, and sexism kind of at play in a very unconscious manner is <laughs> kind of what I try to balance. I, I totally hear you. And one thing, 
there is one side of me that goes, okay, this is how it is. Mm-hmm. Because I do think there's a part of us that has to recognize that's the baseline, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is where it is. Um, and I can really only change, I can't change how another person thinks right, right away. I, I can kind of develop that with them in the way that I interact with them, in the way that I carry myself. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's labor, but also it's something that I find myself more willing to do because it is a place that I love. I love fishing and I love the industry. And so there is a part of me that's willing to take on a little bit more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've found that my own confidence in fishing, in skill, in business sense, because we became business owners by accident, right? Yeah. We didn't make a business plan and put together this company. We sold a couple hats and then realized it was a good idea. And here we are 10 years later. <laughs> So there is a part of me that's willing to put in more of that labor because I do think it will end up being better. Mm-hmm. Even the baseline from 10 years ago is significantly different. And I think part of that is my own vision. 10 years ago, I hadn't fished internationally. I didn't even know how to fish a streamer. You know, I was like dry dropper comfort zone. Yeah. Um, maybe like a double nymph rig if I was feeling wild and the wind wasn't too high. (laughs) I know you're not a nympher necessarily, but that's okay. (laughs) Um, And so I think like with my confidence growing and having a voice that is being more and more heard, I know that personally I can have an impact in how people see an angler Mm-hmm. and thus the industry and on and on we I mean we're like steps into what we need to be doing but there is a part of me that's like okay this is where we are this is some things that people say to me but then there's also you know my take my male employees that they could very easily just say oh thank you so much for loving my company yeah but they are the ones that are also pushing back they're saying thank you for the support However, this is the person to give credit to. So there are those little things because I think um, we're we're making progress. It's not Eden yet. Yeah. One man and one woman and a snake and an apple because that sounds heavenly. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. I like that, that, you know, the men that support you are challenging kind of other biases, but probably unconsciously doing so. And just, you know, I wish to see that more and more um, from males in the industry as well as kind of, hey, figure out your own biases and how you project that, but also challenge each other and in a, in a very, you know, um, a calling in welcoming space. I, I, that's something that I would love to see. <laughs> so yeah. That's good to hear that and I know. like that perspective too, the the welcoming space, because I think with all of this work, um, with any sort of inclusion work, people immediately go on the defensive. Yeah. You and I have talked a lot about even just my own defensive reactions about somebody who doesn't like a specific hat. You know, it's like, why, why am I trying to take that personally? Like (laughs) that's silly. So move on from that. But that defensive reaction of, 
well, no, I'm not sexist. I'm not racist. I'm, I love everybody. Um, just to like take a step back and before those words come out of someone's mouth, just kind of pause and go, well, actually this person's still going to like me if I can recognize that I have growth ahead. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I like that welcoming space mentality. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me so far, like, what is your journey? Because you're you're already kind of getting into what I want to talk about, which is, you know, more inclusion, you know, and being welcoming in the industry. And so what is your um, perspective as or, or even your experience so far in working in justice, equity, diversity and inclusion? Uh, for me, honestly, it's been very positive. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people get really scared and I guess there is like a, there's a piece of me that's like, oh God, when is the other shoe going to drop? When am I going to be told I'm a bad person? Uh, which maybe that's still to come. I don't know. Um, but we, you and I got to be connected over Black Square Tuesday, um, mm -hmm. When we posted the black square and you said, hey, what else are you doing? Cool black square, you know? <laughs> uh, and because of that, we got to start to work together. And that was also like right before the Angling for All pledge came out and we had already started our work. So we got to also uh, sign on to the Angling for All pledge, which uh, obviously we can talk more about down the mm -hmm. line. But for me and for my team, the big team of three, so Garrison and then our employee Kyle, the three of us have been working with you and Sydney with Real Consulting. We've done like a, almost a year of work, not a total year, but we're, we're getting there. Um, and it's been exactly that. It was that welcoming space of I see that you see there's room for growth. Now let's work on that together. It's not a space of name calling. It's not a space of pointing out flaws and whatnot, which I think a lot of people are afraid of. Mm -hmm. Certainly, I'm sure there are people that do that, but I will, I can speak to my experience with you and Sydney that it's very much a it's a space, uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's a safe space to explore what this means. And so for us, one of the best tools that you all gave us was the characteristics of white supremacy culture. It was a description of the characteristics and then a flip side. So how can you take this piece that our culture has been rooted in and flip it? Um, so one of the things for me is perfectionism. Like I'm a total one, everything right. One, everything done at the right time in the right way. And so it's hard for me to pull back from that. Mm -hmm. But the other side of that is the flexibility mindset, right? So there's other ways to achieve the same goal. Some of them are slower. Some of them take a different path. Um, and of course that makes sense when you really step back and think each individual has their own way to approach something. And so really thinking about 
this is where we need to be and how can we get there as opposed to me saying this is where we need to be here, step one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Certainly some of those things have to happen. We have like some legal ramifications of like sales tax need to be recorded on a certain day. But there are so many other things when it goes into a business, especially a small business like ours, where we can be flexible. We can, you know, readjust what makes sense for our operations, what makes sense for our schedule, what makes sense for, you know, our procedures. And so that's been a big learning piece or unlearning piece for me still in the, still in the process. The perfectionism isn't gone. Right. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that is always something I'm constantly working on as well. But once you start to like understand that about yourself, you know, you're able to kind of start look at other, your lens kind of opens up a little bit where, you know, perfectionism and getting kind of Absolutely. caught up in that characteristic, you know, it's almost tunnel vision and that's all you know. And then that, um, is also correlated with being exclusive. You know, when we kind of have our own processes, our own way of doing things, we're kind of just zoned in and not really taking anything else into consideration or any any other folks, right, that might have a different way of doing things and exactly. kind of shutting down creativity as well as what I found. And it can, it can shut down the self as well. Obviously, inclusive work is about going beyond your own you know, mindset and your own experience, but all perfectionism does is like create this inward pressure and anxiety and that's not good for anybody. And it certainly doesn't make you want to connect with others. So that's my, that's one example. And I will say like that, even just that handout that says characteristics of white supremacy culture Seeing the words white supremacy culture was also one of those um, mind opening things because, you know, we've talked about it. Everybody sees it on, well, not everybody, people who are willing to see it on the news or Instagram know that white supremacy culture is this thing that we're all in. It's the water we're swimming in, Mm -hmm. but they so much hear the word white supremacy and they think white supremacist, they think, you know, people doing very explicit racist acts and we need to step back from that and just go, Nope, it's, it's so much bigger than those individuals. Those individuals are certainly there and they are a part of the problem, but it is so much more than that. And I think that's one piece people get so defensive about is they see white supremacist or white supremacy and they go, that's not me. And it's Mm -hmm. like, well, it's literally what, this country was founded on and many others in mm-hmm. our footsteps. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of like we have to name it in order to change it. And the more and more that we try to get defensive and, you know, push it away and deny it, then that's kind of the, that's literally the root of systemic oppression and racism is by continually not wanting to see it or understand it. So it's learning to recognize it. And that's also part right. of our, our biases and the way that we treat other people and the way that we go about, um, you know, running a business, for example, or um, et cetera. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. So what have you observed or what yeah. are your, um, so have you had any pushback or like ha- any thoughts of this work being political 
And what are your your thoughts on when people say, oh, why are you getting – because I've noticed on your Instagram <laughs> when you do post about, you know, <laughs> the Capitol riots and how, you know, there was other things I believe that had happened and you get pushed back of why are you keeping politics or bringing politics in this? Just go fishing. It's just fishing. What is your response yeah. to that? Um, outwardly, not a response because – like there is no way for someone if that's their reaction to me saying that or Garrison and I saying that we are against any sort of effort of insurrection of our democracy right. to then have somebody say just stick to fishing don't get into politics there's no there's no response I can have, especially on Instagram, that will calm that reaction. Mm-hmm. My actual reaction is everything's political. Period. Mm-hmm. I mean, we live in a government or in a country that is, you know, controlled by a government. When you buy a hat from me, there were a lot of laws in place that politicians made so that I can actually import some of those pieces so that I can legally have a business to sell it so that I pay taxes on it. Everything's political. And then you get into the actual act of fishing. Like we need a fishing license to go fishing in the United States. And in some places, You need um, certain tags in order to catch certain species of fish. So it's political. Like, yes, most of us go fishing because it's an escape and it's a connection with nature or it's a connection with friends or it's a space to be alone and, you know, just really think about your life or it's a place to go giggle and whatever. Mm -hmm. That's why we go fishing. That's the act of fishing. But everything that goes into us being out there is political. Period. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I I just, the people that want to keep politics out of fishing, um, they're just scared, I think, of having a larger conversation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I would totally agree. And actually, Sydney and I did a seminar um, with the title, Everything is Political. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's all political and there is no single right answer to any of it. Right. Um, But, you know, to try to come up with a way to have more voices included, more faces included, more opinions included that will get us closer to the right answer, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 100% agree. Cool. So um, what is your, so tell me more, in your introduction, you had mentioned that you're on the action board. Uh, What's your role and your influence? And tell me more about your experience on being on APTA. Yeah, so APTA is the American Fly Fishing Trade Association, And we are the only trade association for the fly fishing industry. There is um, the American Sport Angling Association. That's more the conventional side. Um, And it's basically the voice for the industry, Mm -hmm. right? So we have a volunteer board of directors. 
and it can be up to 15 directors. Um, we actually have our nominations period is open right now. Here's my quick ad. So I'm going to give the ad and then I'll tell more about what I do. Great. Um, so the nominations period ends August 30th. Um, and nominations is kind of a silly term because you don't have to be nominated by someone else. You can be nominated by someone else, but you can self-nominate. Um, and so the nomination is basically you have to be a member of AFTA and there's like six categories of members and it's uh, manufacturers, retailers, media, guides, both individual or like under an outfitter, um, business affiliates. So that would be like an insurance provider or something like that. Um, or like a consulting group, you know, something like that. <laughs> um, or there's even like individual affiliates. So if it's somebody who works at a shop and they want their own membership, um, there's that. So you have to be a member of AFTA and then you have to nominate yourself or be nominated. And then there's an election period. I think it's maybe a seven day, I'll have to check my facts on that, but seven day election period, members vote. So any active member votes um, and then top people are in. So I nominated myself in 2019 um, as a manufacturer and I got elected by the membership and I didn't really know 100% what I was getting into because mm -hmm. I've been on less active boards before. So I also am on the Colorado Trout Limited board mm -hmm. and I'm less active on that. But after board is really a working board. We meet um, in committees. So we have government affairs, we have science and policy, we have nominations and onboarding. Um, gosh, I know I'm missing finance show. So the mm -hmm. IFTD show and other events. Um, we meet in committees and we basically try to work towards the betterment of the industry on behalf of our members. So we're all volunteers except for our executive director and our show director and our accountant slash bookkeeper. And surprisingly, we do a lot as volunteers. So I, in, must have been late 2020, um, brought up to the board that I thought we needed a di diversity, equity, inclusion committee just to mm -hmm. kind of start that work because we all we all know in the industry that it's a older white male cisgender male straight male industry right um and through that process we now have our diversity equity inclusion committee we started just with like some podcasts and some little like you know little mini book club type things talking about um, our own experience in the industry, our own experience in the world, that's been incredibly positive to have conversations with people that I don't, I didn't even know that well. And now I feel like they're really good friends of mine because we've been able to have this open space. Mm -hmm. And then our other big step, other than forming the committee and starting the conversation and a little bit of the work was we hired a consultant. His name's Kenji Hartunian. Um, he actually used to help run the IFTD show. And he is, he helped us with the hiring process of our new executive director, mm -hmm. who is a great guy. He talk about flexibility mindset. Like 
that guy's like, I want to hear your feedback. Tell me more, which is awesome. Um, I'm still learning about doing that myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so, and then Kenji's also helping a ton with the IFTD show, trying to make connections um, and see how we can, A, have a more inclusive show, but also it's a really education-focused show this year. Mm -hmm. We had to decide last minute whether we could do it or not because of all things COVID. And so it's been on a little bit of a rush. And so the education is taking a big focus. And so Kenji and our show director, director, Kenneth Andres, are working together to be sure we have great panelists, that we're including um, more voices than usual. Um, So fingers crossed and whether I open over here on, on that coming to fruition, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they've come up with. And obviously I have a voice in that as well, but Mm -hmm. they're, they're the professionals. (laughs) (laughs) I am not the professional. (laughs) I'm good at keeping an eye on things, but. Uh, that's really great. Thanks for the overview. And, you know, for claiming being the voice of the industry, I think that it's interesting. And I also applaud you for bringing it up in 2020, right, <laughs> about, you know, focusing on on diversity, equity, and inclusion, because that is um, obviously one need that I, one observation that I've I totally could pick out when I first started fly fishing was, what is this? <laughs> and yeah, uh, this is awesome. Well, Oh, go ahead. Yeah, it's interesting because after, you know, we're a volunteer board that's made up of members. Members are made up of industry. Industry is, it usually comes from the participants, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm. if you're probably not going to want to work in the industry unless you like the sport. Right. Right. There are certainly people that they just like a job and they want the job and they're good at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not their passion. Fly fishing typically is a passion driven group. And so we have to, we have to make the whole participation piece more Mm -hmm. inclusive. Mm -hmm. Right. And that is a big job. So, you know, I listened to your episode with Heather Hodson and she was comparing uh, doing diversity and equity and inclusion work as a marathon. And yeah, obviously, (laughs) but a marathon even has an end. (laughs) Like There is no, end here. It's just continuous. And she was like, well, maybe I'm on the one mile mark. And Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, maybe I've like taken two steps into this marathon. And, you know, I know that my um, current board is there in as well. It's also, excuse me, it's also a fluctuating board. Mm -hmm. So every three years, the person who's been on the board has to run again. Well, they have to decide if they want to run again and then they have to run again and then they have to be elected again. So it is fluctuating. So that's why having a great executive director who has this in front of mind and then also having Kenji as a consultant, a consistent human that can keep us going on that is great because the board, we're like always turning over. Right. Um, So... Is there any work or any discussion on, um, cause you know, the requirements of 
nominating yourself um, is um, being a member. And I'm making a huge assumption here that AFTA members are likely not of different backgrounds, <laughs> cultures, race, racial or gender um uh, you know, don't really have diversity as their members. Is that correct? Or um, is there any discussion around that and diversifying the members? So yes. And um, it's that when you look at the pyramid, like the members are made up of the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the industry is made up of the participants. So yes, it the membership is lacking in diversity for sure. Um, we do, we are able to basically as a board nominate an ex officio director. So let's say there's a skill set that we're lacking and that isn't somebody who's already on the board or it's not a current member that we could ask to be, you know, to run themselves. Um, we can appoint that person as a director. That person isn't a voting member though. Mm -hmm. So certainly that's one thing that we have Kenji kind of on the next steps to be looking at all of our documents and things like that and seeing like where can we kind of revisit different policies and whatnot. Um, But because the we really are working on behalf of the industry mm-hmm. you know on the government affairs side we're working on like 301 tariffs out of china mm-hmm. and we're working on the removal of the snake river dams and um things like that sales tax really really exciting stuff on sales tax um and so that's very much for the industry and so thus the members of the board are industry folks, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. Yeah. And I would just say like kind of looking at the industry and as, you know, more participation is increasing, especially in women or other demographics, you know, there's a huge um, Hispanic population as well that's growing in in fly fishing and fishing in general. And so, you know, I kind of look at membership as a barrier. Is that part of the conversation Um, or, or a thought that's kind of, been processed? Not yet, but it can be. (laughs) (laughs) I like your attitude. (laughs) Because, you know, we are, I mean, like we are, we are early, early on um, in our, in our steps here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Well, that's really great that you're starting somewhere and that there is an expert um, you know, assisting and already has experience in that. So that um, that's really great to hear um, because I, I think if, you know, I just think of this big, powerful voice of the industry, right? And that is a lot of decisions that are made for the industry on behalf of, et cetera. And um, just how important it is to have this diversity, equity, and inclusion lens. And, you know, I'm starting to see more, um, over the last year, really observing different companies take a public stance about social justice, right? There's um, Orvis has been really vocal about their England for All pledge and where they are. And, you know, then I'm also seeing the opposite end of the spectrum of being really quiet or even violating, you know, 
um, other <laughs> other types, you know, not violating, but also engaging in, for example, cultural appropriation. And so those folks are underneath the AFTA umbrella as well, likely members. So I'm curious if it's also a conversation of how far would the industry go in order to be part of the industry? Does that make sense? Um, so all companies might need to have a benchmark of doing some type of diversity, equity, and inclusion work in order to participate within that space. Maybe it's IFTD or becoming a member at AFTA. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I like the idea. It's um, it's such a different breadth of people, you know, like we have some people who are on a flats boat 250 days a year that are members. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the biggest piece that AFTA can do is to help provide tools. And that is one thing that, uh, we have discussed at length with Kenji, you know, it's, it's a member-based organization and it's a paying member based organization. And with that come member benefits. And so one of the things that we've discussed is could one of these member benefits be here is how you can take these first steps to be inclusive. And because I think for a lot of people, they're intimidated. They're like, yeah, I'm seeing it everywhere. I'm hearing it everywhere. My reaction is defensiveness. We know they're not saying that out loud, but my reaction is defensiveness. But if somebody instead extended a hand and said, like, here's one step, here's one resource, here's one thing to kind of get you started, it can get the wheels turning in a positive direction. And then we we go forth. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, I'm part of uh, Outdoor Writers of America Association. And, um, the, you know, part of the benefits is that diversity resources. And it is such right. a robust resource. And there's not, it's not um, exhaustive, um, which is making it more simple and more approachable. And so it's, yeah, I, I like that direction. And I like that response, um, instead of kind of shutting people out, shutting people down for not, but really just kind of holding their hand through this process and making it more accessible and more relatable. So yeah, I like that you added that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. And kind of trying to see it more as like a mentorship role. Yeah. As opposed to like, a, this is the way or, yeah. you know, get off the road. Yeah. Kind of seeing it as that, you know, we're in this together. We, mm-hmm. we can, we can get through. Right. Great. Um, switching gears a little bit. Um, and I want to talk more about your personal values and understanding of conservation um, and also how that is um, weaved into your work at Rep Your Water and your your company values. Um, so yeah, what is, what's your role and participation in, com- in um, conservation right now? So on a Rep Your Water side of things, we from the beginning didn't want just to be another apparel company that was producing things and putting it out there without something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so Early on, we partnered with Colorado Trout Unlimited to donate a portion of our sales to them because all we had was Colorado Mm -hmm. products. Um, And since then, we've grown that quite a bit. Um, We 
have 16 regular conservation partners and they are coast to coast. Um, and we also do like some specialty projects. So the two biggest ones would be no pebble mine. So we work very closely with um, the Save Bristol Bay crew in not just helping them spread their message, but giving them a significant amount of money through the sales of our No Pebble Mine themed items. We have a sticker, a hat, and a fish mask, which is basically a buff, sun protection. Um, And we also just recently partnered with Trout Unlimited on their Restore the Snake campaign. So donating more than our normal 3% to that campaign, which is to remove the lower four Snake River dams, which um, that is a complicated topic because it's not just a simple, as simple as like, this is a deadbeat dam that's just sitting there. Like this is, it's so much more than that. It's about salmon and steelhead habitat. It's about um, the Nez Perce tribe that that's their ancestral land. They still live there. They are still using that water and it's so much a part of their tradition, the ability to fish in that water. And then also like not have it be laked out and have it be a naturally flowing river. So that's a very complicated project. It's going to take years, um, but there is a lot of energy behind it um, from the Trout Unlimited side. They're working very closely with the tribes and other conservation partners. We do this like itty bitty piece of like some stickers and hats that visually say restore the snake and then also um, are giving money to the cause. And then um, I think there's going to be a lot more to come as far as ability to reach out to representatives and and donate more money so that the work can actually be done. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a big future situation coming up. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big um, taking. And that's really great to hear that, you know, if you're going to be putting out a product, what else can we do to kind of balance that and, um, yeah, ethically uh, do your business? So thanks so much for sharing that. And that's really awesome to hear. So um, what is your personal concept of conservation um, or concepts of wilderness? Um, It's complicated (laughs) to say, (laughs) you know, to put it bluntly. Because more recently, but even, you know, ever since I knew like what a dam was or (laughs) um, what the logging industry was, it's always been kind of like this complicated thing in my brain because we are humans. We have an impact on this earth, especially in our industrialized society. So absolutely, we are going to cause harm to perfect nature. Um, But also there are pieces like recreation. So if we want to fish, like brown trout, everybody loves catching brown trout, but they're not native to the U.S. That's a hatchery creation. Yes, they are wildly reproducing in many places and they have self-sustaining populations in many places, but they're not a native fish and they cleared out a lot of the native fish. And so did the white man when he came through and, and outfit, you know, like overtook 
all of the things. And so then we're replacing that with brown trout. We could go on and on about that, that it's, you know, it's very complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, But just like with the industry being where it is, we kind of need to say, okay, well, brown trout are here, right? And so what is, what does it mean to keep them sort of happy and healthy? We are anglers. We all know that they would rather not have a hook in their face. They'd rather just swim along, but for our own enjoyment, we want to put a hook in their face. Let's do it in the, you know, in the best way possible. And so some of that is river improvement. Some of that is restoring banks so that there's not channelization um, and there's not silt buildup. And that's a lot of stuff that Trout Unlimited and other partners do. Um, And then there's also... Uh, pieces like Keep Fish Wet does, which teaches proper catch and release handling. If you are going to catch and release, there are certain things you should do. Keep it in the net or keep your hands wet and out of the net for less than 10 seconds. Um, All of those great things. And then there's also the most extreme level. Yes, it's political, but the hoot owl restrictions. Uh, Many places here in the West, which... uh, Anna Lay, thanks to her for teaching us all what hoot owl meant. It came from the logging industry of all places. Um, So to not fish at certain times because it's the hottest time of the day and it's really tough on trout. Um, A friend of mine, Tom Bai, he's the editor of the Drake. He loves to just promote warm water fishing in the summer. He and I are both total bass geeks. Like I love catching bass. I love catching crappie. Garrison really loves catching carp. Um, so we do a lot of warm water fishing in the summer because it's keeping the trout a little more rested. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, there are more and more people fishing. So because I like have caught a lot of trout in the summer, it's okay for me to take a break and mm-hmm. go do something else and let somebody new try it out. And they're probably not going to go fishing in January like I am. Yeah. Um, I know you are because you're hardcore like we are, (laughs) but you know, new people, they're like, I'm just doing this in the warmest time of the year. And, and so let's make room, let's make space. Um, So that's not a direct answer about what conservation is, but those are a lot of the thoughts that roll through my mind when I think about conservation Um, because it is, it's about protecting the resource, but I would put like within our means because we are absolutely going to use the resources for humans. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that. And thank you for sharing that perspective. Um, I find that really refreshing and um, there is no right or wrong answer. Right. And kind of recognizing that history of, of harm that's already been done, but this is what's on our plate right now. And how can we move forward? from this and also making space and making, it's like taking responsibility for your own individual um, your, your actions of, hey, I'm a seasoned angler. I know what I'm doing. I know that the temperature is going to be this way this time of day. So why don't I take responsibility and do something else, go somewhere else, um, target something else. And so I think that's the most um, responsible thing that we can do. So thanks. Thanks for sharing that. All right. Yeah. So you mentioned kind and of- are fun. Yeah. So tell me more. I've never, I I went fishing for kokanee once and accidentally caught a bass. And that's the closest I've ever been to to a bass. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> is that your preferred style of fishing or what, what, what kind of, yeah. What is the best type of day on the water look like for you? Um, for me, it's honest, it's a lot about company. I know a lot of people like to fish alone to like recenter and like, you know, get out of their head. But for me, it it's a lot about that shared experience. And so obviously I fish with Garrison a ton, but we have a lot of other friends that we fish with. And maybe it's even like I'm fishing down here and somebody else is fishing upstream, but then you come back together and you have a laugh about the fish you missed or uh, you tell the story of the awesome, beautiful one that you just caught and maybe you have a picture to show. Um, so for me, it's it's a lot about that community that it creates. Um, I wouldn't say bass is my preferred, uh, but it's one of them. I mean, if the fish are eating, it's a good time. You yeah. know? So if it's too hot for trout and it's perfect for bass on top water or subsurface, like let's do it. It's so, it's just so fun to think there's something under the surface of the water and I tricked it into eating something like there's something really interesting about that. And then you have this little shared moment. I was always a total nature geek. Like from the second I could, I like point at a roly poly. I was so into bugs and like, you know, roadkill. My mom would be totally disgusted because I'd want to like investigate roadkill and pets and wildlife, like total animal nerd. So the fact that it's like, this is the way that one can interact with fish because they'd rather not hang out with us. Um, it's totally fascinating to me. Yeah. So your style would probably be more trout or is that kind of where you would prefer to fish? I think trout's probably my preferred because they are so pretty. And then also you can get a little bit more technical and you can really think about, well, right now is the perfect time to throw a dry or, you know, there is no surface action. There's no chance uh, trying to see what nymph they are excited about. Or if you really want to try to get a big aggressive brown, throw a streamer on. Um, it's, yeah, trout are fun because they are so varied. Yeah. Yeah. You'll have to come out and fish the tailor uh, this winter. I know you're the tailor expert, so I need to come. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to be, but <laughs> the winter, they seem to really love that mop fly. So <laughs> yeah, well, that's like one fly that I have tied. So <laughs> the only fly that I tie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. So what's next for, for you and, and for Rep Your Water? What are you working on and where do you, yeah. What's going on in your life? <laughs> well, on a strictly business front, we have like, we do like a spring launch and a fall launch of new products. So all of our fall products are slowly arriving. I know everybody knows there's like supply chain issues all around the world. Even poor Taco Bell can't get all their same ingredients. They um, ran out of beef the other day. Isn't it wild? Um, yeah. <laughs> so our products are like slowly arriving. Um for fall, which it's hard to believe because it's July, but um, we have that all coming out. And I'm really excited about a couple of pieces. Like we have our hoodies, like just hoodie sweatshirts that are made out of 100% recycled materials. So 50% recycled cotton, 50% recycled polyester, um, which is 
part of our initiative, not just to give money to conservation organizations, but also to create our products out of better materials. Um, so we have those coming out. We have all kinds of fun new products. On a personal front, uh, we are going back to the Bolivian jungle Ooh. to go fishing. Um, I feel like I should like cross my fingers because we all know that all things COVID are going crazy right now, <laughs> but they do keep it really safe. There's a lot of testing and vaccines and all of that um, because you are fishing with the tribe down there. And so mm-hmm. obviously huge goal of the the company that we go with is to keep their people safe. So lots of testing, lots of safety protocols, but that'll be end of August. And that's to fish for golden Dorado, which they are so much fun, just crazy aggressive fish and beautiful. And you're in the middle of the jungle. So for like a nature geek, like me, it's, (laughs) it's so much fun. Yeah, that sounds great. I've never fished for Dorado, but that sounds like it would be really fun. (laughs) Yeah, they have sharp teeth. That's the, the, you got to watch out. You always have to have your forceps to get the fly out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. Um, Is there anything that you wanted to talk about that we haven't covered um, with our session today? I don't think so. I just want to reiterate, I know that obviously people who listen to your podcast, typically they follow you on Instagram and they, you know, they know who you are, but I've known a couple of people that have popped on just because, you know, Heather Hodson has such a wide reach of friends. And so I talked to a couple of people that were like, oh my gosh, I've never listened to this podcast. I'm going to listen. I heard Heather was on it. Um, So congrats on reaching a wider audience. I think that's amazing. And so I just want to reiterate to those people who this is all new to them, that like, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to just go one step at a time. Your first step is just listening to more of the things Erica tells you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I don't know about that. (laughs) Or not, or someone else. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I love seeing that you're reaching more and more people through this medium as well, because not everybody's on Instagram. Not everybody's willing to follow voices that might share a different perspective from theirs. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited for you. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much. And thanks so much for being on this episode. Um, So how can people get connected if, if you want them to connect with you or rep your water? Um, Yeah. Uh, well, personally, I am on Instagram, CSD817. Um, Corinne Doctor would al- also get you there. Um, I think I'm the only one in the world, the only Corinne Doctor. <laughs> um, and then Rep Your Water on Instagram, just Rep Your Water on all the things, on Facebook, on Instagram. Um, so that's where I am. Great. Awesome. Well, thank you so much uh, for your time and it's been awesome chatting with you. Yeah. Thank you, Erica. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Head over to awkwardangler.com for show notes and resources. You can send appreciations by subscribing, sharing with a friend, rating the podcast, or Venmo at Awkward Angler. Special thanks to my brown folks fishing family for your support. I'm Erica Nelson, inviting you to be an awkward angler. See you next week.